The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, our Constitution, our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Welcome back, patriots. I am your host, Ron Kern, and today's show is a pretty cool and fun one. The American Revolution and everything about it is, in fact, my passion, and I am honored that you're here allowing me to share it with you. As you may have heard before, my wife and I teach the American Revolution and the United States Constitution, and many of our students use this show as a supplemental tool for what we teach in class, and I did tell them that I would give them a shout-out, so... Kudos to all of our students at the ILA Academy. In my last show, I read an email from a faithful listener. Her name is Erin, and she lives in North Dakota, and she wanted to know more about the relationship between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, as she had just finished watching the HBO series John Adams. Well, Today is the day as the title of this show is Adams and Jefferson Frenemies. I do sincerely appreciate hearing from those who listen to my show, so if you want to give me a topic for an upcoming episode, as Aaron did for this one, or just say hi, or hey, you can let me know where you're listening from, please feel free to do so, and you can contact me via the show's website, PatriotPowerPodcast.com, and you can also get to it by visiting ilovegeorgewashington.com or AmericanRevolutionHistory.com. They all go to the same main website, but perhaps one is easier to remember than the other, so that's why I have a few. If you have not checked out the show notes for each show, which I do for every episode, I highly recommend that you do so. Going back on some, even if you've already listened to a particular show, I I really devote quite a bit of time putting those show notes together as I feel it's just that important. I include recommended reading, videos, photos, links, and more pertaining to the show's topic. I also add some books that I think would be really good for that topic, and it's all right there in the show notes, and it's really a fantastic resource, and if you visit the show notes before or after listening to a particular show, the combination is a perfect match for a more complete story. And who does not like to have everything all in one place neatly organized for you, right? Okay, so in my last show, I covered Lexington and Concord, the midnight ride, the shot heard round the world, and... I tried to walk you through an immersive visualization on what it may have been like to be in the shoes of the Lexington Militia as they waited for the British Army to arrive. And if you haven't listened to it, show number 23, I sure hope that you do. If you like it half as much as I did putting it together, then I think you'll be pretty happy and satisfied. And just a friendly reminder that non-bonus episodes follow a timeline of the revolution while Bonus episodes like this one focus on a person, battle, or event and could be at any point during the revolution. Before I dive into this episode, I want to share something that I received a week or so ago about this podcast. And even though 
My show is fairly new and just has 23 episodes. Well, actually 24, with this being the 24th. It now has over 10,000 plays and has been listened to in 46 different countries. To some, that may not seem like very much, and, well, perhaps it isn't, but I am very grateful and prefer quality over quantity. And I just, like, who would have thought? Uh, But if you have been with me from the start or just now tuning in and catching up, I really appreciate you listening and learning with me. I'm guessing that I probably don't need to go into super great detail about who John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were, but then again, after speaking with several kids and adults recently, they had a hard time naming the second or the third president of the United States. So I will start by giving you a brief overview of those men, kind of as a refresher. Now, this show is not meant to be a biography of either Adams or Jefferson, but in order to understand their very complex relationship, one that was filled with both admiration, friendship, jealousy, and downright hatred, it's important to know their backgrounds and how they relate to one another. So let's start with John Adams. John Adams was born and raised in Massachusetts, who became an exceptional lawyer and quite famous in Boston, and is considered one of the founding fathers. His practice flourished, and as I've discussed in a previous show, he was so good at being an attorney, he was able to get all but one man acquitted as he represented the British soldiers who were involved in the Boston Massacre, all of which were charged with murder. John was also an advocate of breaking away from England. He was a major figure in the Continental Congress. He authored the Massachusetts State Constitution, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, a signer of the Treaty of Paris, which ended the war, was vice president under George Washington, and also our second president, winning over Thomas Jefferson. And all of these are just highlights, and I just scratch my head on how one man could have all of this on his resume. It's really, uh, truly remarkable. He's also one of the few founding fathers who never owned a slave. Quite a contrast to Jefferson, which I'll talk about him here in just a second. Even John Adams and Abigail Adams' children, at least one, were amazing and very gifted, as their son John Quincy Adams later became our sixth president of the United States, following in his father's footsteps. He did have one son who died of alcoholism, and that was not only an embarrassment to John and the family, it was also one of the saddest parts of his life. He really tried to do everything he could, and uh, many times mentioned um, that piece being a very dark and sad part of his life. Thankfully, though, John Adams kept a very detailed and thorough diary Uh, That provides us not only a window into his mind, but that of so many other famous people and events during the founding of our country. His, His insights gives us and provides us the mood and temperature of Boston, and with his documentation, both writing, legal, and diary, those those things he wrote are, in my opinion, a national treasure. 
He was married to Abigail Adams, who was a brilliant and beautiful woman and so ahead of her time. She was just absolutely amazing. She too kept a diary, and those letters between her and John have filled countless books, and I've read most of them. It's a love story that was real, deep, and rare. I think it's the epitome of a real love story, and relationships like theirs are extremely rare. Individually, they are incredible people. Together, they were a power couple and a joy and marvel to study. His ability to keep records, including his diary and letters, are instrumental when looking at his relationship with Thomas Jefferson. The total number of letters between Jefferson and both John and Abigail Adams is about 400 pages, and those uh, letters give us a glimpse into their relationship. I used several books researching for this show, and I'll have the links to all of them in my show notes. And one book in particular, which is called The Adams-Jefferson Letters by Lester Capon, has all letters in one book. So that makes it pretty easy to read through. Now, let's find out about Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson was born, raised, and lived in Virginia. He inherited 5,000 acres at the age of 21 and he lived in a beautiful home called Monticello. He was the architect for it and loved creating homes, drawings, schematics, etc. If you've ever visited Monticello, it it really is something special for sure, and uh, it's pretty cool um, to, uh, as I've said in many podcasts before, to visit a place where a historic person lived or a battle took place and his house when you're when you're walking through his study which is kind of connected to his reading room and also his his bed his bed is oddly in between like all the rooms so when he laid in his bed he kind of could see a good chunk of at least his library and his reading room it's kind of uh, laid out very interestingly and it doesn't surprise me that he created it because he he really was um I don't know if if he could be considered a master architect, but I think many in that line of work would probably agree that he was he was pretty impressive. He was married to his wife Martha for ten years, and when she passed away due to an extended illness, um, I think that was brought on by multiple pregnancies, and he, and also she had several miscarriages. When she died, it, it was a a bad thing, obviously, but. He loved her so deeply that when she died, he went into a depression that was exceedingly dark. Uh, He would never remarry, uh, but he did have a child with a slave called Sally Hemings, and that has been proven by DNA testing, and he currently has people alive today from his lineage and ancestry, so... Um, That has always been kind of a conspiracy, but now it has been proven that that is true. He was the country's first Secretary of State, a member of the Continental Congress, Governor of Virginia, Vice President to John Adams, and also our third president. Oh, yeah, and he kind of, you know, was known for writing a one-page document called the Declaration of Independence. And his achievements are something to be equally impressed by. And as I did with Adams, these are just the highlights. Both Adams and Jefferson's uh, 
would fill uh, an entire book of things that they were involved with and the things and importance that they helped in the founding of our country. Both men are incredible. Unlike Adams, who had zero slaves, Jefferson is said to have owned over 600 in his lifetime. And although it's difficult to justify or even grasp, it is odd that he would own so many slaves, but yet authoring the Declaration of Independence, which says, quote, that all men are created equal and at the same time owning slaves. This was not the only example of Adams and Jefferson having different positions, views, or beliefs. Now I'm going to talk a little bit more about these men after a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson first met at the First Continental Congress in 1775. Both of them were attending as delegates at the time. And about a year later, John Adams would recommend and select Jefferson to be the author uh, and write the Declaration of Independence, or so the story goes. Now, Adams apparently told Jefferson that somebody from Virginia should write it and that Jefferson was a far better writer than himself. I find this striking as Adams was an amazing and excellent writer. I mean, he was a true wordsmith that had the ability to truly ignite emotion from the page to the reader. Adams went on to say that he was not liked as much as Jefferson, and that that was probably a very true statement. Now, whether Adams really chose Jefferson, or in fact this conversation took place, we obviously know that Jefferson did end up writing the Declaration, and many years later, when asked about it, Jefferson denied that that conversation ever happened. Could it have happened, and Jefferson may not want to have given any credit to Adams? Perhaps. Could it have never happened, and Adams wanted to have the claim and credit of choosing him to write one of the most important documents in our country? Perhaps. Now, they say that opposites attract, and with these two guys, I think there is definitely some truth to that. Jefferson was tall, thin, philosophical, well-read, and very soft-spoken. He also rarely spoke unless he had to, and speaking in front of a lot of people would send him into a state of anxiety. Also, in my research, it came to my attention, I didn't know this before, that apparently he had a stutter, and people now also claim that Jefferson had a learning disability, including dyslexia. This is a good place for me to interject about diagnoses and labels. Being diagnosed or labeled with something, which happens almost every single time, right, we visit the doctor, or especially a mental health doctor, it does not shape or define who you are or what you will become. Jefferson was highly intelligent, exceptional reader, exceptional writer, and for somebody with a learning disability and dyslexia, I would say that he didn't allow his label or conditions to define him. Now, Adams, on the other hand, was short, stout, and loud. He could be very abrasive, and oftentimes he didn't appear to have any tact whatsoever. He was known for his vocal outbursts, and he wore his emotions on his sleeve. He 
Man, if he didn't like something, man, he would blurt it out many times. Not all the time, but many times he would do that. Likewise, if he loved something, he would be very emotional and excited about that as well. So he had a uh, a vibrant personality. And even though they were complete opposites, their relationship worked pretty well for about five years. And they worked together during that time. And they both got a lot accomplished. In fact, they... Uh, actually both went to Europe in the 1780s as both of them were serving diplomatic missions. When Jefferson's wife died, both John and Abigail Adams consoled him and took him in as part of their family. Both of them came back to the United States and this is where things started shifting from good friends and working well together to not so good of friends and opposing each other. It's kind of a sad deal if you Uh, look at their relationship. But let me paint the picture here. So they're working together over in Europe. Uh, They come back and Jefferson was now the Secretary of State in George Washington's cabinet. And he was driven by a fear of, of a powerful central authority and gravitated toward the new Republican Party. When I say Republican or Democratic, don't compare that to today's definitions. They're they're not the same, but he he really was concerned with a central government or central authority taking too having too much power. Now Adams, who was vice president to Washington, he favored a very strong central government to ensure the new nation's survival, and he aligned himself with the Federalist Party. I think as as vice president, uh, Adams was marginalized and really didn't have much to do. I mean, there was not any previous vice president or duties to draw from, right? And since he was the first, his his role was quite ambiguous and Adams really disliked the position of being vice president. Being very outspoken and not afraid to tell people what was on his mind, Adams said of the vice president position, quote, the most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. The only thing he really had to do was cast the deciding vote if tied as the president of the Senate. Uh, You know, this guy's amazing and he becomes vice president and he's bashing the position. But really, you know, Adams was a man of action, getting things done, um, forward progress, always on the move, and here he is now vice president, not really having much to do, and George Washington and the other cabinet members kind of kept him away from things, and and I'm not sure, I haven't spent a lot of time to dig into why. I don't know if it was because he had such a strong personality, or maybe they just weren't sure of what in the heck uh, a vice president should do. But he was kind of uh, an outcast, and that position even made him more of an outcast because he really had nothing to do. So their relationship continued to slide downward, and Jefferson supported the French Revolution even after King Louis was executed. Uh, Jefferson was also pretty ticked off that Washington made the decision to remain neutral when France was about to go to war with England. It so upset him that Jefferson resigned his position in 1793. If you've ever watched Hamilton, uh, it's kind of a funny part of the uh, Broadway play, but yeah, he he said, I can't, I can't handle this, and uh, I'm, I'm out. 
and so he resigned from his position in 1793. Adams decided to start sharing his thoughts on paper, as he usually did, and he was writing letters to his sons Charles and John Quincy. Let's just say that he wasn't saying very nice things about Jefferson in these letters. These letters also hinted that it was widely known that Jefferson had fathered children with his slave, Sally Hemings, and this information holds a pretty big punch and gave Adams ammunition to use if and when it was ever needed in the future. Spoiler alert, he would use this and a lot more in the future. So after Jefferson resigned, Adams said that he would not sit idle by and he was going to probably do something big. And yet again, John Adams was right because after Washington stepped down after serving two terms as president, Jefferson put his name in the hat and was going to run for president. So now we have John Adams, the former vice president. He's thinking, you know what? I didn't get to do much as vice president, so I too am going to run for president. So we have two long-time good friends here in the States, good friends during their time in England and France. They came back good friends and were working together in the same cabinet. Now they both supported different parties, Adams voiced disdain to Jefferson's fathering children of slaves, and now they're both running for president. I think back then, as, as it is now, running for uh, a political office, the same political office, especially the most powerful one you can hold, that being president, that immediately puts up walls between the opponents and almost like it's built into politicians' DNA. They, they start looking for things to discredit the other person. John Adams won and became our second president, and Thomas Jefferson became the vice president, because back then it was based on actual votes. So the person with the most votes would be president. The second most votes is vice president. I think they should go back to that. It actually forces both sides to truly find common ground and work together. But those are the good old days are long gone. And heaven forbid people in our government work together, right? Now, when Adams' term approached the end, Jefferson was going to try again for the presidency. This brings us to the election of 1800. And if you think you have witnessed nasty campaigning like Trump and Hillary Clinton and others in more modern times, the election of 1800 was one of, if not, the nastiest ever in the history of our country. It was brutal and makes today's debates seem mild, which is saying quite a bit. While campaigning, Jefferson accused Adams of having a, quote, hideous hermaphrodite character. And Adams shot back with saying Jefferson is a, quote, mean-spirited, low-life fellow. Adams also said he was, quote, the only thing that can possibly save us from the fangs of Jefferson. And then, of course, Jefferson hires a very sleazy journalist named, uh, named James Callender to do nothing but smear Adams in the press, including the false story that Adams actually wanted to start a war with France. Adams also said that Jefferson would openly promote prostitution, incest, and adultery. Can you imagine if that was said today? Whether it was in person or the press, and any other chance they had, 
both Adams and Jefferson took that opportunity and spoke very ill of one another. And if you're curious about the results of the election of 1800, it went like this. Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr tied with 73 votes. Adams had 65 and Pinckney had 64. Since Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr were tied, it went to the House of Representatives and they would vote on it. And if it was still tied, they would vote on it again. Jefferson won on the 36th ballot to become our third president and Aaron Burr the vice president. This tie also created the 12th Amendment to our Constitution, and I've provided a few links with more details about the election and links to the 12th Amendment, which you can find in this episode's show notes. But all you really need to understand here is that the campaigning was dirty and created even more distance and a lot more friction between Adams and Jefferson. On the day of Jefferson's inauguration, John Adams took the early stagecoach out of Washington and he went to be with his wife Abigail and he did not attend the swearing-in ceremony of Jefferson. Jefferson and Adams would not speak, write, or communicate for 12 years. So after 12 years of silence, which one reached out to the other? We'll find out who that was right after a very brief sponsor break. Benjamin Rush, who was a doctor and a very famous person and was involved with almost all of the Founding Fathers, was simultaneously writing to Adams and Jefferson. And what he was telling, he was suggesting to each of them that the other was eager to resume their friendship. Now, I find this awesome because, I mean, you have Benjamin Rush, who knew both of them very well and knew that they weren't talking and haven't for 12 years, and that the fallout between them was very well known. It was all over the press. Everybody knew it. And he wanted to get them talking again. So he told each of them, hey, you know, he told Adams, Jefferson wants to get back to, you know, talking and being friends. And he told the other one the same. And thankfully, it worked. Rush told Adams, I, I, this is crazy. Um, Benjamin Rush told John Adams that he had dreamed about Adams writing a letter to Jefferson, after which the two giants would renew their friendship through a correspondence. They would discuss their past disputes, share their profound musings on the meaning of the American uh, independence, the revolution, and, and, and their lives. And then after that, in Rush's dream, the two men, quote, sunk into the grave nearly at the same time, full of years and rich in the gratitude and praises of their country. Remember that, because it's pretty crazy that he had that dream. On January 1st, 1812, John Adams took the first step and picked up a pen and wrote to Thomas Jefferson. Now, how in the world do you start a conversation with somebody that you despised, hated, and campaigned against, and someone that you have not spoken to in over a decade? I found his first letter in the archives, and it's short, uh, and, and I'm going to read the entire thing. Dear Sir, As you are a friend to American manufacturers under proper restrictions, especially manufacturers of the domestic kind, I take the liberty of sending you by the post a packet containing two pieces of homespun lately produced in this quarter by one who was honored in his youth with some of your attention and much of your kindness. 
All of my family, whom you formerly knew, are well. My daughter Smith is here and has successfully gone through a perilous and painful operation which detains her here this winter from her husband and her family at Chenango, where one of the most gallant and skillful officers of our revolution is probably destined to spend the rest of his days not in the field of glory but in the hard labors of husbandry. I wish you, sir, many happy new years, and that you may enter the next and many succeeding years with as animating prospects for the public as those at present before us. I am, sir, with a long and sincere esteem, your friend and servant, John Adams. Man, uh, that took some. That took some guts to to be the first one uh, to to make that move and to write him that letter. So when John Adams started writing the letter and and a gift of homespun, uh, this letter was was the start of their correspondence, uh, a correspondence which would continue the rest of their lives. And homespun became, if you're wondering what homespun is, it became a term used to describe anything American made like cotton, linen, textiles and more. I couldn't find exactly what the item was that John Adams sent, but I can tell you that Jefferson initially didn't receive it because the next letter was Jefferson writing in response, and he said, quote, I thank you beforehand, for they are not yet arrived for the specimens of homespun. You have been so kind as to forward me by post. I doubt not their excellence, knowing how far you are advanced in these kind of things. The letter went on, and his response was quite lengthy, and he mentioned the revolution, England, France, and that he was done with politics. He wrote, quote, Into politics of which I have taken final leave. He also said that he had given up on newspapers and instead read and studied Tacitus, Newton, and Euclid, saying, quote, And I find myself much the happier. So even giving up the news back then was a good thing, and certainly news today is such a, a circus. Uh, we don't even know if what they're saying is real or fake. In fact, now we don't even know if the videos or the photos are, are fake or real. So at least I can say that Thomas Jefferson and I have that in common, and that is not reading or watching the news. Now, Jefferson continued in the letter with, quote, No circumstances have lessened the interest I feel in these particulars respecting yourself. None have suspended for one moment my sincere esteem for you, and I now salute you with unchanged affections and respect. A year after their communication started, Adams wrote, quote, You and I ought not to die before we have explained ourselves to each other. Over the next few years, there there were some pretty tender moments. It kind of crept back into the these founders' relationship. And as they both grew older, Jefferson even wrote, quote, Crippled wrists and fingers make writing slow and laborious. But while writing to you, I lose the sense of these things in the recollection of ancient times when youth and health made happiness out of everything. In all, they would write hundreds of letters to each other, discussing everything from the weather, the past, the present, what the future would hold for the new United States, family, friends, gardening, and everything in between. 
Jefferson's last letter to Adams was written on March 25th in 1826, and Adams' response to it was dated April 17th of 1826. That would be the final letter written between them. I have photos of these actual letters in my show notes, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool to look at, so check that out. So now that you know more about the relationship and and how it all developed and what happened, if it ended right here, it would still be marveled at, studied, and should be appreciated by the masses, right? However, this is not the end of their story. The coincidence, intervention from God, a fluke, whatever you want to call it, what I'm about to tell you is truly remarkable and hard to believe. July 4th, 1826 marked the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which both of them had signed. On this day, Thomas Jefferson died at the age of 90, just shortly before noon. Five hours later, John Adams passed away. John Adams' last words were, quote, Thomas Jefferson survives. Adams was mistaken. The fact that they both died on the same day is crazy enough, but that it took place on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, you just, you just cannot make this stuff up. After the deaths were announced, eulogies were pronounced across the country and commemorations were printed in all newspapers. Statesman Daniel Webster's eulogy for Adams and Jefferson spoke to the point that many people believe that something other than coincidence had to be involved. Yet another odd coincidence, exactly five years later, on July 4, 1831, former U.S. President James Monroe died. Kind of crazy how many people died uh, on July 4th, but the fact that Adams and Jefferson on the same day and the 50th anniversary, it's just, it's just insane. You know, in both Adams and Jefferson, they lived in a time that was remarkable. Uh, being involved with so much history and the creation of our country, they were both ex-presidents, growing old at the same time, sharing their lives together. And because of their letters, we now have the blessing to see into both of these uh, genius minds. And it's a true blessing for us. They both had major accomplishments and they both made pretty serious mistakes. They were geniuses, amazing men, human beings with strong emotions and beliefs that, that were friends, then staunch enemies, and then again friends, up until both of them died on the same day. I hope that you now have a better appreciation of both of these men and, and also understand their very roller coaster relationships that it was just absolutely incredible and eerie and, and the remarkable ending of their lives. I encourage you to take a look at the show notes, which I have for every episode, as I've said before. And I think you're going to be able to learn even more about their relationships and about each of these men. Thanks for listening and hope that you tune in next time with us here at the Patriot Power Podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you'll get notified when our new episodes are available for you. And we hope that you check out our websites, which include our show notes, links, documents, and more at patriotpowerpodcast.com 
or ilovegeorgewashington.com. Until next time, hope that you and your family have a blessed week. And remember, be safe and tell a veteran thanks for their service.